Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture. I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. Author and actress and just an amazing, beautiful human, Tembi Locke is on the podcast today. Yay! I'm happy to be here. If you guys haven't read or haven't watched From Scratch, what are you doing with your life? How does it feel, Tembi? You made millions of people around the world. I mean, this was number one on on Netflix for, for quite some time. You made millions of people around the world like cry with you, feel with you, be just completely compelled by your story. I'm still trying to find the words <laughs> to sort of express what this feels like. I mean, it's something that you can't predict. You can't like account for it. I mean, we have just been first I was in just the trenches of writing the book. And then when we began to adapt it, you're just trying to tell the best story possible. And I hoped, of course, I hoped that it would connect with people, that they would feel all the feels, as Reese Witherspoon, you know, said when she sort of picked it as a Reese Witherspoon, as a book pick. But I had no idea this was going to happen. Like, no clue. And it feels beautiful. It feels expansive. It feels overwhelming. But ultimately, I'm so proud that we collectively were able to, like, tell a story that's about something that means something to people. I get these beautiful emails and direct messages from people saying, it touched this in me. It's made me love this way. It's made me think differently about that. Or I'm a survivor or, you know, I was a character, all the things. It's beautiful. I mean, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Do you get that a lot too, where people were like, we started this, you know, cutesy movie and we were like, oh, beautiful young girl goes to travel across Europe and then you're in it. Yeah, we call it the prologue really to the story. Like people think that's the story. <laughs> and by the way, you know, look, Attica and I, my sister, who's my co-creator, she's my sister, as you see also. in the A.K.A. Zora. Oh, A.K.A. Zora. <laughs> but we always knew we were interested in sort of like, telling a story about what happens after the meet cute. Like there's the meet cute, which is the rom-com we meet, you know, it's all about them getting together and then, you know, like deciding to be with each other. And then we cut and we're out and we just go like, okay, well, I hope they had a good life together. <laughs> this story 
you know, sort of begins in that way. And you're right. It's a slow burn. You think that's what you're signing up for, but oh, it's a lot more. What's so wild is like the opening scene. You kind of can piece together. Okay. Something sad is going to happen. But I guess the human brain works in a way where we're like, no, no, no. She was probably just like, you know, he was at work or like, you know what I mean? Like, what did we how do we even explain this that the the, the I want to call it the movie, but it's a show. Well, we do. I, I think it's it could have com- been a movie. No, no, but it's a compliment. I mean, when we hear people say it's a movie, it's a compliment to us because we all along us and Zynga, Hello Sunshine, Netflix, we always wanted to make like what we felt was like this long eight hour movie. Like it, we wanted it to be seamless across different locations across different timelines with all these characters because it felt seamless. So it's a compliment when I, yes, it is a limited series, but I like that it feels like a movie. So that's totally how I feel. But what do you think about that? That like you did decide creatively to start the, the limited series with the scene where, you know, you're smelling his journal and obviously there's some sadness. You decided that yet as a viewer, we're like, I ignore it. Like, how did we, how did you get us to, (laughs) you know, just fall so in love with the story that I convinced myself that there can't be anything sad that's going to happen? No one has asked me that question in that way. And I am so glad that you've asked it because one, it's tethered also to the book, right? So the book in that it has this prologue and then which touches on that. And then it goes right into the early days of falling in love, you know, with Sato, my late husband, Lino on screen. And when we came to the adaptation, I was like, it's got to start in that now. This is a woman looking back on her life. But the thing about memory, right, is like in one moment you can be in real time and space and you hear a flash of a song or a bit of a smell or something. And suddenly you're time stands still and you're transported back into memory. And so we wanted that feeling on screen. So I was like, we are not going to hang out too long in the kitchen because that is the, because she picks up that notebook, because she's transported, that she's fully transported. And then it's, it will meet up. The story meets up, of course, in that kitchen moment much later in the series. But yeah, you forget it. You forget it. You forget it. You forget it. You forget it until you come back to it. I want to talk a little bit about did this whole thing really get crazy when Reese Witherspoon picked it as a book club favorite? Yes, I was an unknown, untested, unproven, unpublished at that point. Writer. Oh, unpublished. I didn't realize well, it was unpublished. Well, what I mean by that is I had a publishing deal, but the book wasn't on the shelf. She got a peek at an early manuscript, Compliments of My Sister, there's a story there. <laughs> What's the story? Tell us. Well, the story is that my sister, who is a screenwriter and a producer in Hollywood, as well as a novelist, she was writing on Little Fires Everywhere, oh, the show for Hulu. I saw right? it. So I watched she was, it. A, she was a producer. She's a producer on Little Fires Everywhere. And at the time, she had to go to Hello Sunshine's offices in Beverly Hills to read the pilot because they had it on like lockdown, lock and key. Like it wasn't just floating in the ether. So she physically goes there. She reads the script. She's on her way out the building. She bumps into the president of production, Lauren Neustadter, and they start chatting. Lauren says books she's interested in, What Attic, ask what Attica's up to next. Lauren tells her various different stories she's interested in. And my sister says, huh, well, I actually know a story for you. And she pitched my book, which at the time I was still writing. I I was still, it was a manuscript, like a Word doc in my computer. She pitched the whole story. And Lauren was a little dubious, I think, as I've been told, because I wasn't there, but she said, all right, send it over, we'll read it. So that's how it got in Reese's hands. Lauren read it, everyone at Hello Sunshine read it, Reese read it early on. And just shortly before it was actually on the shelves in the book and uh, on the shelves in the store. And that's when Reese was like, we'd love to do this. And we'd also like it to be a book club pick. So my life completely changed like overnight. Hi, do you like to listen to sexy stories while you're folding your laundry? Download Dipsy. So I feel like I should apply to, you know, tell a sexy short audio story on Dipsy because I don't know, I've decided my voice is sexual. Don't at me. So research shows that sex is as mental as it is physical. 
So you need more than just an amazing vibrator. You need a good, sexy chapter in a romance novel. You need Dipsy because with Dipsy, you could skip straight to the good parts. They have, you know, different kind of like racy, sexy stories. Like when she moved back to her hometown, Gian never expected to run into Jack. When she sees him at a local dive bar, she finds herself drawn to him all over again. Want to know what happens next? Or maybe you want to know a whole lot more. Check out this sexy story and many more on Dipsy. So sexy stories, you guys, to get you hot, to get you bothered. Uh, they also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions. And like I said, sexy stories that you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies. Relax unwind, or heat up things with a partner. For listeners of my show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash not skinny. That's 30 days full access for free when you go to dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash not skinny, dipsystories.com slash not skinny. So Saro died in, I'm not going to butcher, I'm Saro, Saro. Yeah, okay. so- you say in a beautiful Italian accent, Saro, I, Saro, won't, I Saro. won't try. Okay. <laughs> he passed away in 2012. The book was published in 2019. So when did you start writing it and why was your intention yeah. for a cathartic kind of experience? What was, what was going on there? A couple things. I, around the five year anniversary mark of his passing, I had a kind of pivotal moment and people who have suffered like a significant or big loss, there is something around the five year mark. That's kind of like a, 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 a turning point like emotionally. And I I felt it was barreling toward me, this idea of like five years he had been gone. And my sense of time was like, oh my gosh, my life is going to continue to move forward. Right. And all of that's going to be part of my past. And I felt like I wanted to just write it down. My sister had been telling me for a while, you know, you should write, you should explore writing. You should write this. This should be a book. Like you should write, you should do this. And so that fifth anniversary, as it was approaching, I was like, you know what, basically, Okay, I'm going to, what do I have to lose? Right. Let me go for it. And so I started writing it in 2017 with the idea that I wanted to one document a time in my life that I knew I would was in my rear view mirror. I wanted to explore it. I wanted to honor it. I wanted to write a document for our daughter, right. Who was, you know, at the time she was 10 ish. 12. I mean, my math is bad, <laughs> but I was like, I need, I wanted to sort of write a document of her parents' life down. And I thought if I write this book and it's able to help anyone, I've done what I can do. And so that's really was the driving force behind writing it. And I also felt like if I didn't write it, I would suffer a different grief, a different kind of grief, you know, that I was compelled to do something, but I was ignoring it. And I didn't want to do that. Was it hard to, to, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was one of the, if not, it, it was hard to decide to do it. The writing of it was emotionally challenging and also intellectually, you know, I'd never written a book before. <laughs> you know, I'd written like things in writing classes because I'd taken writing classes and I'd written short pieces, but the idea to endeavor to like create a book length memoir that was actually compelling enough that people wanted to read was like both a creative challenge, but the subject matter was so personal. And I was, I felt vulnerable. I felt like can I put all of this in the book? Is that too much? I had many conversations with my editor was like, I don't know about that. And she was like, go push, put it, you know, go deeper, go deeper. And I'm so glad that I was brave enough to do it, that I was encouraged to do it because writing the book transformed my life. And I don't mean that professionally. I mean that like internally, I know I can do hard things. Not only was it so personal, even the book cover is the real photo of you both. And that was by chance because you never know. Like they said, at oh. one point we were, oh yeah, no, no, no. At one point they were like, hey, we're looking at the book cover now. You know, once they sort of we agreed on the manuscript, all the edits were done. And they were like, send us some family pictures. We're thinking about other stuff, but just send us some pictures as well. And so I just sent like over, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 photographs. And when they sent a mock-up with that picture on the cover, I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. Wow, that's I I I think when I saw it I was like I almost couldn't believe that it was real. Like wow, that's the real real photo. 
So tell me a little bit about how this then became the, the limited series on Netflix. So once Hello Sunshine agreed and Reese and team team everything at Hello Sunshine and that Attic and I were going to produce it and, and, and co, you know, create the series together and write the pilot, we began to sort of develop what would it look like to take it from page to screen, which thank God she has, my sister, years of experience in that space and had actually just done it with little fires everywhere. I felt like my role in it could be to really sort of be the guardian of the essence of the story because I knew that things were going to change. I knew we were going to fictionalize things. And so we developed really the arc of the series. We knew and like where it would begin, what would be the middle, what would be the end. And we took that and we pitched it all around Hollywood. And we went in the room with Zoe, with her sisters. Oh, she was attached to the project, Zoe, from the beginning. Yeah. So what happened is Reese was having dinner. <laughs> everything begins with Reese. Everything. I know that. <laughs> everything, everything, begins with Reese. everything begins with Reese. So Reese was having dinner, she and her husband, with Zoe and Zoe's husband. And Zoe's husband is Italian, for anyone who does not know. And I guess they were at the dinner table and Zoe and, and his name is Marco. Marco were like speaking back and forth in Italian and they were all lovey-dovey. And Reese is like watching them because she's just read my book, the manuscript of my book. And she's like, I think that I, I, this, she's, this is it. Like, this is the, she's the character. And so we get a call, my sister and I, we get a call saying, you know, Zoe Saldana. And we were like, uh, what? And they, you know, we learned that her husband's Italian. She speaks Italian. She produces with her sisters. And I was like, this feels so synchronistic. Like what? I mean, it was almost eerie. And I was like, yes. And so once she came on board and we had a sense of where the series would begin, the ground it would cover, how it would end as a team, we collectively went to, around Hollywood and we pitched everywhere. We pitched to Netflix. They bought it in the room and boom, and we were off to the races. Wow. So just because I love detail, did Reese from the beginning when she picked when she helped with the book and 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 helped you get it on the shelves, did she know then it, that she wanted it to be, you know, turned to, to be on screen? I, th- I think those conversations were happening in tandem. Mm. I wasn't privy to them. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's all in the Hello Sunshine world. But I think it, that was sort of in the ether. Absolutely. Wow. The thing with Zoe is so crazy because like you said, she speaks Italian. And I can only imagine being Reese in that moment and having everything kind of connect in front of you. And the fact that you were producing on it and Zoe was producing on it and Reese was producing on it, which I love because like, I mean, talk about girl power and amazing women coming together. Listen. That set was so powerful. And I'm not saying that just because I was like a part of the team that was in it. I, you know, my background is I was a career as a, as a, what we call a journeyman actor, right? Like on all these TV shows, guest stars, this, that, and the other. So I've been on Hollywood sets and I have never seen a team of just women, like running everything. And that was powerful. And I hope it's a, it's a, it's a power, it's a shift in the industry that is that certainly Hello Sunshine is at the forefront, but it is happening and it's beautiful. And yeah, it's great. I did want to talk about why the reason for the name changes. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is there a, is it, do they do that in movies all the time? Um, you know, I think it happens for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you uh, two reasons. So the professional and the personal reason, right? So the professional reason was, as I was just speaking of, in real life and in the book, I was a working, you know, actress, right? Going out for commercials and this, that, and the other. And it sort of strained credulity to picture Zoe Saldana, like, at an audition. I mean, it's <laughs> like, been done, but it's been, it's, I, I mean, we've seen it. I get it. I'm with you. I'm like, maybe yeah. if I, I would probably make the same choice, but they've mm-hmm. done that in movies and and you're right. It, it takes you out. For me, it would take me out. I'd be like, she is has been in Avatar. <laughs> She's in Guardian. Be like, I don't really think I don't want to see her like auditioning with some sides. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So for me, it, it would have bumped me out of the story mm. immediately. So we and and Attic and I were aligned in that way. So we were like, okay, we need to sort of reconfigure her job, what she does. And so because I was an art history major, and I you know 
have painted and I'm very, you know, art, artful in that way, we decided to make her an artist. But in terms of the name changes, because I was going to be a part of the team adapting and producing it, I needed the psychological distance of having a, the character be inspired by my life, but not exactly me. And so that when I, we were in the writer's room or when we would be on set, that I could have a little bit of like psychic distance to allow Amy to be what she needed to be on screen for the adaptation in the story that we were, you know, as we were conceiving of it and creating it. And I knew, you know, being in Hollywood for 20 plus years, the characters are going to have to do some very dramatic things that didn't happen in real life. And I didn't want to be beholden to things that Amy did on screen or have my daughter beholden or my you know, parents. So we thought, let's just have everyone inspired by the real life people, but let's give them different names. And it really helped us to be free to make the story that everyone is falling in love with. But did you still feel like, even though she's Amy, did you feel like you were watching you? There were times, absolutely. And not so much watching me, but watching the most intimate parts of my life played out. And there were a couple of times on set when watching certain scenes, I saw my life, this is going to sound so strange, but I saw a part of me that wasn't clear to me until I saw it played out, which is, which is so strange. But I saw watching it, I was like, oh my God, this woman is so, she's tender, but she's strong, which is not something that, that I would have used to describe myself, but watching it you know, at the video village on the monitors on set as they were working, I was like, oh my gosh, like that young me, she was really strong. Like, oh, holy, she, and and, and I don't know, it just gave, it was so touching. It gave me a kind of a, a respect for parts of my life that I hadn't slowed down to reflect on in that way. I can totally see that. Okay, guys. I think I've told you about the Kiwi Co-Creates before, but I'm going to tell you about it again because Kiwi Co knows a thing or two about delivering fun for all ages. And they're here to help you give awesome, whether it's an awesome time with your kids or an awesome gift. With a Kiwi Co subscription, you're giving so much more than a toy. You're getting a season full of discovery and experiences delivered straight to your door. Each box is kid approved by a crew of kid testers to ensure they're age appropriate and fun. I just did a box with Noah the other day. It came with this like ocean and then we could like stick on the different animals in the ocean. And then it came with this fishing pole that we could then uh, like fish the fish from the ocean. And just, it was just such a fun experience and it was so unique and different and Noah enjoyed it so much. And as a parent, it could be really hard to find creative ways to keep your children busy. KiwiCo makes it super easy with their nine different subscription lines for different ages. So give awesome this holiday season with KiwiCo. Get your first month of any crate free at KiwiCo.com slash not skinny 50. That's your first month free at KiwiCo, K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash not skinny 50. I told you this, but I want to remind you to get a head start on your Black Friday shopping with Macy's Black Friday early access sale. You're going to be so bombarded with all the different shops and stores offering Black Friday deals. And that's why Macy's is so smart to give us early access to their specials on their fave brands and beauty essentials from November 7th to November 19th. So this is before Black Friday. And the best part, no waiting in long lines, no getting up early. All is available online at Macy's.com slash Black Friday, Macy's.com slash Black Friday but only while supplies last. So be a quickie and get all your holiday shopping done before Thanksgiving so you could have your cake or pie too. Wouldn't that be so fun? Like everyone's in a craze, standing in long lines, being, you know, stepped on and you're like, "Mm, I got everything done at Macy's on sale. You know, Macy's has everything. You could get 
you're bedding, you could get clothing, you could get kitchenware, you could get cookware, you could get everything at Macy's. So mark your calendars, Macy's Black Friday sale, you guys, November 7th to November 19th. It's all available online at Macy's.com slash Black Friday. That's Macy's.com slash Black Friday. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Did Zoe like spend any time with you to kind of learn you or more the intimate parts of your story that weren't in the book? We definitely had conversations. I mean, from the beginning, we were, you know, Attic and I were both to all of the actors, but particularly Zoe, we were like, make Amy your own, like bring your own imprint to her. I think, and she said in interviews that she sort of watched me and observed. And so I think there was like, she was taking me in without me knowing necessarily. But we also, there were parts of the story that she wanted to know more about. And we had conversations about aspects, you know, because there's things in the, in the series that aren't in the book. And there are some very specific life experiences that unless you've actually had lived them directly, you know, you might not know certain things. So we definitely had conversations, but she really just took it and ran. And how is it finding Lino, Eugenio? Yep. A Eugenio Mastrandrea. Oh my God, like, I'm butchering it all. I'm butchering no, it all. No, you're not. No, no, no. I say it like that because I always say like he's such a delight as a human and his name is so beautiful when said in Italian. I just, I'm like, it's like a song. A Eugenio Mastrandrea. But anyway, he, finding him was the luckiest thing that could have ever happened to us because we, it's funny, the joke in our writer's room when we were, you know, sort of writing out, writing all the scripts and breaking the story, we were like, we are looking for a unicorn. Like the other writers in the room were like, okay, so who's the dude that's going to play this guy? Because he's like sexy and strong and poetic and tender and stubborn, but also, you know, gentle. And, and they were like, it's such a particular combination of energies. Also has to speak Italian. Also has, I mean, clearly, but also has to speak English really well. Also has to speak Sicilian. Like, we were basically looking for a unicorn. So when it came time to cast, we had a wonderful casting director, Armando Pizzutti, out of Rome. And he just literally started sending us tapes from, I, I don't know, I think we saw like every actor from age like 25 to 45 in the whole country of Italy. <laughs> like we just got, we just saw tape after tape after tape. And I was like, Eugenio's tape was in the first round of submissions that we got. My sister saw it first. She called me and she says, okay, look, these tapes, I need you to be prepared that there's one actor that when you see him, you're, it's going to be a trigger because he, there's some things that he will remind you of Sato, my late husband. And so I kind of had that going into, you know, sitting down. So I sat in my house, in my living room, and I was like, okay, let me watch these tapes. And, you know, it's a cute guy, cute guy, because they're all cute, right? All the things. Hey. And when Eugenio came on the screen, I had to close the computer. I was like, I can't. I don't know what I just saw. Because there was, yes, a physical resemblance, you know, sort of echo, if you will. But energetically, there were things, mannerisms, sort of ways of being that I was like, who is this? It, it, it was too much. It was like, it was too much. And so um, I came back to it later and I watched it again. He was a really good actor. And I watched it again. I'm like, oh, he's a really good actor. This isn't just me like responding as the person who was married to the guy. This is, this guy is the real deal. Like he's got the goods. And he continued through rounds of auditions and finally through a chemistry read with Zoe. And by the way, he's in Rome this whole time. We're doing this whole thing over Zoom because it's the middle of the pandemic. And like there were no one was vaccinated at the time because they weren't even back. You know, the vaccines weren't even ready. So we're just like, well, let's cast this guy and let's hope, you know, he'd never been to America before. It was oh, it was truly we are the luckiest people to have found him because he, first of all, the chemistry between the two of them is incredible. He is a wonderful human being and incredibly talented. I 
Wow. First of all, we all fell in love. We all fell in love with him. And you're so right. Like the Italian guy is so stigmatized in like movies and shows where it's like, you know, he's running down the alley and like wearing a leather jacket and, you know, you're hopping <laughs> on his motorcycle and like, yeah, Lino had a motorcycle, but you're right. He was tender and, and different from the stereotypical. Yeah, I was. So first of all, having been married to an Italian man, I know just like in America, we have many different kinds of men, but for whatever reason, sort of the stereotype, the trope of the Italian man is so ingrained in our psyches as viewers that I was like, I can't, that wasn't who I was married to first and foremost. Like it was, he was a sensitive man. He could be, he could be masculine. He could also be feminine. Like it was all the things he was a whole human. And so we wanted to bring that to screen and to some degree, almost, you know, sort of upend a stereotype because I, you know, and so Eugenio just, he, he is just amazing in the part. Wow. No, he was so, so great. So I have a lot of questions. I'm here for them. Um, Cause I'm so interested in your story and, and how it, you know, parallels to the to the series and maybe some things that were different. So you're an actress. We talked about the the decision there with Zoe. So why were you in Italy studying abroad? Were you really studying art? Yeah, I was. So Amy in this series is in law school and has decided to sort of drop out, take her time off. That I was an undergraduate and I was an art history major. So that's why I was in Italy and I was in Florence. So I was there for like the junior year abroad. <laughs> did you wow, do a junior so year abroad? Yeah. I did in Barcelona. I didn't meet like a hot. hot no, <laughs> didn't happen for me. Probably went for that reason. You know, I, I remember I could have chosen to go do like an L.A. internship or go. And I'm like, I'm going to Barcelona. But it didn't yeah. happen for me. No, no cute guys there. So lots of cute guys like everywhere. Everywhere. everywhere and that and by the way i was 20 years old so for me not the most discerning human at the time like that is not a time in your life you don't have i didn't let me speak in the first person i didn't have enough deep lived experience yet to know what i was looking at when i saw when i met my late husband i was like oh he's a cute guy like there's a bunch of cute guys here and, oh have fun i'm going back home soon like i've got to finish college and get on with my life i was not thinking that this one particular cute guy <laughs> would change the course of my life and would induct me into a kind and quality of love that I had not known and that would imprint me in the deepest, most profound ways. And he was older and he saw me, this 20 year old American, black American girl from Texas. And he's like, you're my person and I will pursue you and I will let you know that you are my person. I will stand by as I dated other Italian guys while I was there. And he quietly, in the background, observed, watched, and was like, why don't you come have dinner at my restaurant? Like, that scene is real. almost exactly, totally real. <gasps> and so he was showing me who he was, and he was showing me the kind of, human he was and he let me catch up to his vision of what we could be I didn't I can't say I saw it initially that's how it comes across in the in the in the series too we're not understanding what's happening like you are dating other people but you you are keeping him close as like a friend or whatever and he's like who am I to you so that's kind of how it was in real life too oh yeah in fact in real life I broke up with like we, we went out like like two dates and I was like, he's really intense and serious. I was like, this is, ah. And so I formally, quote unquote, you know, told him, you know, let's, let's just be friends because this feels like, hey, let's just be friends. And he, I said, let's just see each other like a couple of times a week. And he was so funny. He said to me, what are you saying? And I said, let's see each other. I said, I'm going to say this in English so that I'm really clear. And I said, let's see each other one or two times a week. And he said to me, you are saying you're going to prescribe the amount of times we see each other in a week. I don't understand what that is. <laughs> He's like, I just, I don't get that. He's, and I said, okay, well, let's just be friends. 
And I think what he was saying ultimately was love doesn't work like that. Like either we want to see each other all the time or you don't want to see me. But this like middle of the road stuff, this like maybe kind of couple of times, that conditional, like that's not a thing. And so he was like, you need to think about that because I think we could be something great. And that's when he said the line that is in the series. And then I was, and when he left, it like hit me like a bolt of lightning. When he left, I physically felt when he left the room that like things were different. Like I, 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 the idea that he might not ever walk back through the door stopped me cold. And I was like, whoa, what was that feeling? Like, I thought I was just saying, like, let's be friends and I'll see him next week. He left the room and I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. I need this guy to come back. And that is what we try to dramatize in the series. With the rain. With the rain. Samilisan. Say with me. Samilisan. Next time you or your kid has pink eye or an earache, you will be like, Samilisan, I heard that somewhere. And I will say, you're welcome. Because Samilisan has been dedicated to helping families feel good about feeling better with their gentle homeopathic remedies that provide temporary relief from ear and eye symptoms. They have high quality natural active ingredients. So no drugs, no harsh chemicals, uh, no known side effects, gluten-free, dairy-free. It's designed for ages two plus. So you can use it on yourself. You can use it on your kids. You can find it in the eye care aisle at any store near you, like Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, or on Amazon, and they have been voted number one best-selling pink eye drop, right? And for your earache, which usually goes, you know, hand in hand with the common cold, their earache relief has natural active ingredients like chamomile uh, that work to support your body's natural ability to, to fight uh, earache symptoms without potentially irritating ingredients. Also voted number one ear pain relief brand by pharmacists eight years in a row. So when your family needs relief from pink eye or an earache, choose Similison made with natural active ingredients, no harsh chemicals, so you could feel good about feeling better. Similison is sold at a store near you in the eye or ear care aisle. The Similison team wants you to be prepared for the school year, so they're offering sweepstakes for a $500 Visa gift card and a Similison School Essentials prize pack. Go to SimilisonUSA.com slash win to enter. That's Similisan, S-I-M-I-L-A-S-A-N-U-S-A.com slash win and include Not Skinny But Not Fat in your entry. Include my show name, Not Skinny But Not Fat, to enter. It took me two days, Tembi. Two days, like, of migraines. And I'm not alone, you know? Oh, my God, no. It was bad. It was bad. The scene with the rain was the dramatization of that. But in real life, How did that turn into a long distance relationship? You go back to America, you stay long distance on the phone. There wasn't like FaceTime. No, there was no FaceTime. Oh, listen, Amanda, it was not just the phone. And by the way, I have a a point about the phone. It was letters. We wrote letters. I have, and that's actually how I was able to write the book. I have all of our letters from when we were corresponding long distance. And we were trying to figure out how to make a life together while I was back in school in the States and he was in Italy. And we were like, what is this? And he was like, I'll, you know, I've got to wrap up my life here and I want to be with you. And there were all of the logistics of like, how do you, how does someone move their life to another country? And, and here I was like, I was still in school. And, you know, I was, I, so the phone part of it is that we would have these Friday night dates and my friends would go out go out. They would like go to a party, we would go to the bar, they'd go hang out. I would stay home and wait for the phone to ring. Like literally like something from the 1950s. I would wait for the phone to ring because we had, it was a, it was a six hour time difference and he would be getting off work. Right. And I would just be like, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to take a call. And then we'd talk for like 45 minutes or an hour. And back then this is pre, you know, cell phone, unlimited data plan. Situation. It costs money. It costs yeah. a ton of money. I had a job at one point just to pay the phone bill. Like just to pay the phone bill. So at that point you were all in. Like oh, I was in all love. In. I was you, like, like, no you one understood he it. Was really... No one understood it because Because people had... were like, you went abroad. You went abroad. Like, you had and fun. Like, and who's this guy? No one had met him. They thought he was like some fan like, like and, and even had people who thought 
is he using her? Like, like, who is this Italian guy? And then when they found out, there were members of my family, actually, we didn't put this in the series, when they found out that he was like from Southern Italy, of course, all of the, we talked about stereotypes, right? So the stereotypes of what that, it was like, oh, what is he, like in the mafia? Like, what is it? Oh, who, oh, what is she doing? Like, it was insane. When I look back on it, and I think about what we had to sort of go up against to manifest the heartfelt desire just to be together because there was like, you know, how do you merge two lives across language and culture and continents and citizenship and currencies with two families who truly don't understand the other. You know, my family was like, it sounds nice, but <laughs> he's a cook. Like he's a chef. Like they didn't even say chef. They were like cook. <laughs> he's like, which, you know, I was like, they couldn't wrap their minds around it because no one in either of our families had a template for the kind of relationship we were attempting to build. People had married people they went to college with or yeah. on the street or went to work and who were, you know, pretty much from the same block and pretty much alike. So what was this international, like age difference, culture different, racial, all the things. They were like... How much older was he? He was 12 years older. 12 years older. So how long was the long distance part? It was a full almost two years. Wow. I know. So you lived in Florence. I lived in Florence. And then I... So I was there for a year. Then I went back to the States, finished school. And after I finished school, then I was like, I had a couch commitment in New York City for a while. I was waiting tables so that I could like, you know, just see him as much as I could. And he had to sort of wrap up his life in Florence. And then he came to New York and we started there and then moved to LA. It was a whole thing. And we became, became best friends. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, the best way to have a long term something with someone is to build that foundational thing that we built. I mean, look, he was in another country. We couldn't see each other. We couldn't hang out. We had to just make the commitment to say, you matter to me. My friends are going out, but I'm going to stay in because I want to talk to you. Yeah. And we'd have to fill each other in on all the day-to-day minutiae and, you know, stuff that was going on. But we were building this base of a foundation of a relationship that when he came to the States and we went through all the other stuff we would eventually go through, the friendship was always there. Tembi, how did you move on? I saw that you have a new man in your life. Mm. And for people listening that, you know, lost somebody and went through that grieving process, which I'm sure never ends in a way. It's ongoing. It is an ongoing thing. And I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I say move forward Mm. as opposed to move on because I love that move forward because the moving on somehow suggests like, oh, that is in the past and it belongs in the past and it only is in the past. Whereas moving forward, integrating all of my life and my love and my heart and my past and every experience you go forward with all that with all of that present right sato is never not present in my life and not because there's a show on netflix <laughs> like not because of that but because he's never not present he literally so much of who i am is imprinted by the time we spent together by the conversations we had by the love that we had so anyone who meets me today is also meeting him. Like how me. does he feel about that? Does how is that for the other person? Like I, not only everything you just said, but also the book, the the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I here's what I'll say is it takes someone who's to partner with someone who has been partnered before and not mm. divorce where there was a conscious choice to part to to uncouple <laughs> because something didn't work out but to lose someone and to have that sort of heartbroken piece that can't really mend when you partner with someone who's had a loss you're saying i want to be with you for the totality and fullness of who you are and that includes this person 
So talk to me about them. Tell me about him. We talk about Sabbath. Wow. I have a daughter. She's not going right. to not talk about her dad because mom is dating someone. I mean, that, that, that's not whole. That's not honoring. That is disruptive and makes someone feel invisible. So there are pictures of Sato all over the house. And there's pictures of my new husband, Robert, all over the house. And we're all together because it's all a part of a life. And by the way, when I meet him, I am meeting the totality of his past and his life that predates me. And so I think if you can, if someone wants to repartner after loss, a big part of that is being willing to stay open and curious and being willing to listen and love very, very consciously and intentionally. When I wrote the book, I said to him, I'm writing a book about my late husband. Like we were dating at the time. And I was like, oh, and I was like, so every day when I see you at the end of the day, I've been with my other guy all day. <laughs> and he's like, huh? And it's like, so what I ask of you is give me some transition time in between. Because so it I'm does take a time. really special person to. Yeah. yeah. And you got to feel really secure and confident in who you are and in your ability to love and in your ability to love. And he said to me, look, reading your book gave me a template and understanding of your heart and what matters to you. He saw it as a gift, not as a threat. He read it. He read oh it. Oh my God, he read it. Oh yeah, he read it. Oh yeah, he read it. Absolutely. And he was, you know, when we were filming, would come and drop me lunch off at set while we were filming from scratch. Met Do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like, because what you said is so important, like, of course, you have a daughter together. You know, you're continuing to celebrate his life. Is there some sense of of, I don't know if to call it closure after writing the book and putting it on screen that you do feel? What I feel is that I've carried our story almost, I would say, from the moment we met, right? Like there's, I always sort of knew, once I was on board, I was fully like, oh my God, you're my person too. Like, let's let's do this. I knew there was something special about the how we've met and the things that we were up against because none of my peers had had like you know they had more traditional stories so in some sense I've known that I've carried our story from the beginning to be at this juncture now after the book has come out after we've produced the series the series is out in the world it feels to me not so much like closure in terms of my heart because my heart is still open and full and available to him and I feel grief sometimes I feel the love always but I do feel that a cycle of my life has had a beautiful ending and what mm. I mean by that is you know at this stage of life I can look back at my 20 year old self and I can feel wonder and I feel grateful to her for being so awake and alive and brave to the possibility of what could happen. I look at the young mother in me who and my brought my daughter home and I can look back on my life and say, ah, oh, I did the best I could and I did okay. And I loved really deeply. And now what is ahead? You are going to make me cry again. Tembi, I could talk to you for so long. I think your story is so beautiful and I think that it will probably help so many people who've dealt with grief and 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 not even who've dealt with a different sort of loss, you know? And somehow you've managed to make people feel so connected to this. Even though there are so many losses in the world, we're we're in your we're in your world. You brought us into your world in this wild way. You know what I mean? Thank you for saying that. And that is one of the things that Attica and I held strong. We had, we held, so it was our North star it was that although it is one woman's story, it has to reflect everybody's story because we all want to love deeply and fully. We want to be seen 
We want to heal the hurt parts of ourselves. And so we always wanted to sort of pull those threads forward and have them front and center in this story that's on screen at this time in the world after a pandemic, right? After all of this loss. And we need to feel more connected, more whole, more inspired to love deeply. I mean, my gosh. So that feels to me like the story we were endeavoring to tell. And yes, it's rooted in the specificity of my story, absolutely, right? But ultimately, when I see on TikTok and I, you know, get the direct messages and I get the emails that people are like, this shook me and it inspired me. Mm. Woo, baby. You feel good about that. You have a lot to feel good about. You are an amazing woman. I am just moved by you like your energy I'm not an energy person but let me tell you guys even via zoom I'm like I would move from Italy for you like I get I get it I freaking get it heavy thank you so much for coming on my podcast and everybody read the book watch the series on Netflix and what's next for you are we gonna get more of you well first of all Amanda thank you so much for having me I've enjoyed this conversation so much you've asked me questions no one has asked me before and I love that I love it I love it I love it I love it I have a podcast, too, that's going to be coming out. Maybe we'll chat there. Who knows? And then my sister and I are working on a next project together, which is sort of in development. Oh, I love that. And I love your family, by the way. And I, you know, I freaking stalked you. So I could tell that the family part mirrors kind of what we saw in the movie. And although I have a close family and I'm super grateful seeing your close family, I was like, wow, that's. She couldn't do it without her family. No, you, like, I, there's, let me tell you right now, absolutely no way that this could have been done. Wow. None of it. None of it could have happened. Not the caregiving years, not the solo parenting years, not the writing of the book, not the making of the series, not the sharing the series. I lean into my people all the time because they are a bedrock for me. And by the way, that's not just the people who are my, you know, sort of biological lineage. It's my tribe of close friends. Those are my family too, who are holding me up and we all need that. And I hope the show inspires people to show up for each other. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely that came across so strongly as one of the things there was the love, but the family part was like equally as important. Anyway, Tempe, thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. And everyone, if you haven't watched and read from scratch, Tempe Lock, thank you so much. Amanda, this has been a delight. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Not Skinny But Not Fat. Follow me on Instagram at Not Skinny But Not Fat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Rate the podcast that you love so much on Apple Podcasts and write a little review. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.